Uh, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, chapter 2. <clears throat> 1 Timothy, chapter 2. We left off on verses 11 and 12. Last time I got something like that, it was from some Anglican bishop, and he had about as much sense as a rented mule, and he wanted us, you know what he wanted us to do? He wanted us to get together. An Anglican bishop wanted to get together with a Bible-believing Baptist. You know what I said? Services are at 9.45, 11, and 5. We'll see you here. He ain't showed up yet. No, what he wanted is he wanted me to come join his crowd. And that's what they do. You remember reading the book of Nehemiah? That's what they want you to do. They want you to stop what you're doing, and they want you to come join up with them. And, uh, Christian, you got to watch that stuff. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And listen, I know some of you weren't raised with that attitude, but when it comes to doing things for the Lord, you need to develop that attitude. You need to develop a little bit of sandpaper because you weren't raised with it. 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 11. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the fan mail. Lord, thank you, Lord, that it keeps us so where we need to be studying our Bible and realizing that what we're doing is a reproach, it's a scorn, it's shameful, and it brings contempt in this world. Lord, we don't feel sorry for being a Christian, and we don't feel sorry for preaching the gospel and teaching doctrine. Help us, Lord, to stay faithful, run the race with patience, the race that you set before us, not someone else's. And Lord, I pray once again, Lord, that you would take uh, the uh, study time that's been put in, and would you bless your people and bless your word and everywhere it's being preached in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, we left off in uh, 11 and 12. It said, let the women, woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach or to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And again, this is all in the same grain that if this was even produced or put forth in many Baptist churches, and I'm not saying we're the only one doing it. Listen, I can name you two dozen churches right now, and the reason I couldn't do more is because I don't know the name of them, but I know where they're at. I could give you two dozen churches right now that will show you the same thing, teach you the same principles from the Word of God. But we left off on this. We said this, there are five temptations that will deceive a woman or that will deceive your wife. I'm going to name them, and I'm going to move on. Number one, in verse 9, she'll be tempted to try to attract attention with her dress. Number two, in verse 11, she'll be tempted to try to talk back and argue with her husband. Number three, in verse 12, that woman will be tempted to refuse to make a change in her conduct. That's rebellion. Number four, woman is tempted to become easy prey for the devil, the deceiver. And finally, number five, she'll be tempted to complain and become depressed when she's bearing children, that's in verse 15. Now, everybody in America needs to hear that message right there, no matter how uncomfortable it makes any man feel. And look, here's the thing. You ever stop and wonder why, men, it causes you to feel uncomfortable? I'll tell you why, because the spirit of this world is pervasive. And the spirit of this world says, well, you know, if you want a happy life, then you have to have a happy wife. Well, there's a grain of truth in that. You don't beat up on the weaker vessel. You don't put her down. You don't mistreat her, but that's what we do. That's what you do. And if you want the life that God wants you to have, then you just lead and you do what's right. And listen, they don't always follow, do they? But do you always follow the Lord? Does he, every time that you don't follow him, reach down out of heaven and just take the old proverbial two-by-four and beat you over the head? 
He doesn't. You know what he lets you do? <laughs> Whatever you jolly well please. You see that? That's what we're missing. That even when we think our wives aren't doing what we think they should do, God lets you do what you do. Well, you know, there's, there's consequences. and Well, sure there is, but isn't there a lot more grace in your life from the Lord than consequences if you're honest? You see that whole thing about being a husband? I wasn't ready to be a husband. And any man thinking about getting married, he ain't ready to be a husband. I don't care who you think you are. <laughs> All right, now, right here in verses 9 to 12, that's, that's the whole thing. And here, everybody in America needs to hear that message. And uh, what you gather from this thing is that the woman is under attack. And it shouldn't be from her husband. That woman should, should uh, be able to have a place of solace with her husband. That woman ought to be able to have, say, well, preacher, you don't know my wife. Well, probably so, but I know mine, and I married her, amen, and I'm better for it. And uh, <clears throat> you've got to stop and think about it. The, the gal, she's a secondary creation, and uh, the devil knew that if he could get Eve, and this is right in the passage, then he could get the man, which he did, right? But if you think about it, when you treat your wife right and you love her as Christ loved the church, amen, you realize, guys, you're actually protecting yourself. When you treat her right, when you love her like Christ loved the church, you're actually protecting yourself. But when you're a, when you're a macho idiot, you're actually tearing down your own defense against the devil so you can look good in front of whoever it is you're... I told the woman what to do. You're tearing your own defenses down. All right. Uh, you, you get to reading through your Bible. You never see the Lord mistreat his bride ever. I said old Carl Lackey, preacher in North Carolina, Mount Air, North Carolina, began to preach a message one uh, Sunday morning or it was a meeting, whatever, and he had this old mannequin up here, you know, the store mannequins like they, and it was dressed up in a wedding gown, you know, so the bride there and, and he got up and he got to preaching and all of a sudden there's a baseball bat around the side and he took the baseball bat and just <laughs> beat that. I mean, limbs started flying, arms and legs and <laughs> the head's rolling down the aisle and just, he just beat that thing. He said, now listen, that's how some of y'all treat the brethren. That's what it is. And that's how some men treat their wives figuratively. So <clears throat> now look at verse uh, 13 here. Bible says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse uh, 13, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Uh, verse 14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. All right, not hard to understand. You can see that. We talked about that at length. And uh, gals uh, are often tricked into their sin. They're deceived into sinning. Uh, and a man, he doesn't necessarily get tricked into sinning. Uh, he just counts the cost. He gambles. And he does it. Uh, so Adam wasn't deceived. The Bible says, now look at verse 15. And the Bible says here, it's a strange verse, but not hard to understand the context of the passage. Notwithstanding she, that's the woman, shall be saved in childbearing. If they, notice the they there, that's the husband and the wife. Verse 11 and 12, right? Continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, a lot of people get this verse and they tear their hair out and now, you don't need to take, uh, tear your hair out. You just need to uh, understand it in the context it is written. 
You notice here, first of all, in verse 15, that that word saved doesn't have a reference to heaven or hell. It has nothing to do with your salvation. I'll, I'll give you a couple of verses. Look at 1 Timothy 4. You're right in the book there, 4, verse 16. 1 Timothy 4, 16. When you see a word in the Bible, it doesn't always have the same fixed meaning. Saved is one of them. Uh, verse uh, 16, chapter 4, the Bible says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. It's not talking about salvation. It's, uh, uh, it's just talking about saving yourself from a situation. You see that? It has nothing to do with heaven or hell. And every time the word save comes up in the Bible, it doesn't mean salvation. I'll show you another one. Look at Acts 27. <clears throat> And if you're new to, uh, if you're a young Christian, uh, you might not understand some of this, but at some point in time, you've got to realize, just like in the English language, words change, all right? And words don't always mean one thing that they do another. We're not talking about taking a meaning of your choosing. You've got to look at the context of the passage and see what the meaning of the word is. Acts 27, 20, the Bible says, And when neither sun nor stars and many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved, was then taken away. Saved from what? Heaven or hell? No, saved from that ship just sitting in the middle of the ocean there and being taken to land. See what I mean? So if someone's stranded on a deserted island, they want to be saved from that, right? Uh, or if they're out in the middle of the ocean stuck on a ship and they can't go anywhere because there's no wind, they'd li- they, they hope to be saved. Uh, that's uh, just like the word damn in the Bible. Uh, when you see the word damn in the Bible, it's not always a reference to someone going to hell. I'll show you this. Look at 1 Corinthians. We'll just look at a couple things here to give you the understanding and idea that uh, you have to look at the context of the verse. We get these things in our mind sometime, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29. Now Paul's given instruction on the Lord's Supper here. And he says, for he that, verse 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So someone takes the Lord's Supper, they're saved, right? And uh, they, don't, they don't judge themselves before they take the cup. They don't uh, look inwardly and make sure there's uh, no sin in their life before they eat of the bread, right? And uh, that doesn't mean they're going to go to hell. Now look at verse 30. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So when it's talking about damn there, damnation, that's a temporal damnation of the body, uh, your flesh. So he talks about in verse 30, weak, that's physical, sickly, physical, sleep as in the flesh, dead. (laughs) Not an eternal damnation of the soul. I I know you understand that. So the word salvation is the same thing. I'll show you one more. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You've got to think about these words. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says here in verse 6, And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which you also suffer, whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Paul's not saying, look, Lord, lay it on me so a bunch of people get saved, although that'd be a nice, that'd be a nice typology. Maybe uh, you have to suffer something, someone eventually down the road gets saved, but, but that's not talking about being saved. It means salvation to be set free from something. 
set free from something, all right? And uh, back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's uh, try to tie a rag on the bush here and get out of chapter 2 if we can. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. All right, so you know the woman is the weaker vessel according to 1 Peter 3, 7. Okay, she's the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean she's the inferior vessel. That doesn't mean she's the unworthy vessel. It just means she's the weaker vessel. That just simply means she's more susceptible to spiritual attack because she's a secondary creation. And if the devil works the woman over at any time, he works her over more than the time of her childbearing. He works her over during the time of pregnancy, during the time of delivery, and after that pregnancy, the devil works that woman over more than he works her over in her entire life. And that's often when a lot of marital problems will start happening because that man will not take up for the woman where he should. You see that? So while the woman is susceptible to spiritual attack, uh, the man will often stand there with his hands on his hips or you know, hollering and screaming at her instead of taking up for that woman where he should. So yes, a woman is, has uh, different temptations than a man, but here's where the man has to stand up and be a man, and you're not a man because you can yell at a little gal. <laughs> See what I mean? This is not, not comfortable. Listen, I haven't got this thing perfected, but let me tell you what. Studying this material shows me how wrong I am in my approach many times. But just because you can't understand a woman doesn't mean that you need to exploit her weaknesses and exploit her failures and exploit, right? That means maybe she's under attack. Ding dong. <laughs> Amen. And oftentimes the man just won't take up where that woman needs help. Amen and amen. Now let's look at a couple of verses on this thing. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see what happens when a man won't take up for a woman as he should. Now this is where the spotlight needs to turn on to the men and the heat needs to get turned up and the impurities need to come to the surface. Because while a woman has that trouble, yes, she is the weaker vessel, yes, but that's why God put that man as the head so he acts like the head and not the tail. Look at 2 Timothy 3.6. 2 Timothy 3.6, when a man won't take up for a woman as he should, the Bible says here in verse 6, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive, look at Paul's terminology, silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. All right, man won't take up for a woman as he should. He won't give the gal the attention that she needs to have and the time and the attention and listen, right? You ever seen that video, uh, Not About the Nail? You seen that, a couple of y'all? There's this interesting video, and I'm not encouraging you to go find it, but men go find it. <clears throat> and, and this guy and this gal are having this conversation, and the camera zooms in on the guy, and you hear this gal speaking, and she says, I have a terrible headache. It's terrible. And finally, when the camera pans over, she's got a nail stuck right in the middle of her forehead. And he's like, guys, you know how you are. Your wife tells you, or, or your, your significant other tells you, what her problem is, and you want to do what? You want to fix it. She's not interested in you fixing it. And he's like, honey, there's a nail. She's like, there you go again, trying to tell me. Just, I just want you to. So it ends up, she's got a nail in her head, but he's sitting there listening, and she feels so much better. 
that you just listen. But listen, there's a, listen. <clears throat> there's a good lesson here. If you don't show that gal the attention she needs, if you don't listen to her as she should, you know what that gal will do? She'll be tempted to go get attention where she shouldn't. You see that? For of this sort are they which creep into houses. Why are they creeping into other houses? Facebook. The local cable, whatever. Windows. Led captive silly women laden with sins. Why is she laden with sins? Because he won't take up for her. Why is she led away with divers' lust? Because he won't be what he should be. I look at 1 Timothy 5.14. 1 Timothy 5.14. Now, your world will tell this is caveman philosophy, but it's not. You notice, a, uh, you know, for a caveman, he doesn't have a club. He speaks kindly to her. He listens to her. He pays attention to her. He dwells with her according to knowledge. He gives her the benefit of the doubt. Isn't the hardest thing to do in marriage sometimes give each other the benefit of the doubt? You think you know somebody like the back of your hand, you know, right? But what if your spouse is trying to change? You think because you know them, you, you know their heart? I know it's uncomfortable. First Timothy 5.14, you got to take up for the gal. 5.14, the Bible says, All therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. You say, why? Well, because her husband won't do what he should. That's it. He won't do what he should. All right, something else. 2 Corinthians 11. I'm telling you, this Bible's full of it. I've sat too long under too much preaching, and it was just bash the women, bash the women, bash the women. And I've been, uh, I've been a macho idiot before, thinking that I had to tell my wife and, uh, from time to time, so forth and so on. And that's not how God intended that thing to be. Yes, a man's supposed to rule his home, but it's supposed to be a loving rule. It's supposed to be a kind rule. It's supposed to be a benevolent rule. She's, she should be giving her opinions to you about something. Yes, you have to make the decision. <laughs> okay, and if she doesn't follow you, lead anyways. <laughs> well, she's not doing what I want. <laughs> now you know how the Lord feels. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 11. Now, look, I know the brethren don't like this, but I don't give a rip what the brethren think. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. Verse 3, But I fear, now here's a husband and a wife here in verse 2, Lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, that means he fooled her, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And you know what the devil wants you to do? He wants to come in, and he just wants to get between you and your wife and divide you subtly. You ever see that happen? <laughs> you ever see that happen? Come home, you know, life's a bed of roses, and all of a sudden there's a misunderstanding between you and her, and you're wondering how it got there, and three hours later after, you know, the rubble from what's left of the house is settling, you're going, oh, this is a total misunderstanding is all it was. What was it, the devil dividing you subtly? Okay. <laughs> all right, back to 1 Timothy 2.15. And that happens because the husband's not helping her out when she is weak. 
So when that gal is weak, the temptation then is for you to exploit her weakness, remind her of her weakness, remind her of her failure. Just shut up and help her. Amen? That's in the original Greek somewhere. Amen? It is. But the husband not helping her out, and that causes increased uh, spiritual deception. 1 Timothy 2.15, notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing. Doesn't mean her soul is going to be saved. Amen? That's why what... You know, you've got to be careful of the mate that you get. You get yourself one who doesn't care about you and just cares about him and his desires and how he wants to be satisfied. Well, you're in for a long, difficult road ahead of you. And, uh, but it doesn't mean that the woman's soul is going to be saved. What the woman is saved from is back in verses 9 to 14, the same chapter. Saved from troubles and trials. Saved from trying to attract attention of the opposite sex. Save from talking back to her husband. Save from refusing to do right. That's rebellion. Save from becoming easy prey to the devil. That's all right in the context of that chapter. But you'll notice there's a conditional clause here in verse 15. It says, if they, not she. You see, some men don't even know the spiritual condition of their own wife. They don't pray with them. They don't love them. They don't take up for them. They don't help them. They don't protect them, and I reckon that's a terrible thing. If you want to save your wife from trouble, and you want to save your wife from trying to attract attention, if you want to save your wife from being rebellious or being depressed all the time, here's how you do it. Verse 15, if they continue in faith, that's a husband and wife trusting God, and charity, what's charity? That's giving an action, right? That's love in action. And holiness, that's clean living with sobriety. That's being serious about your Christian life. You see, it's uh, easy in the upper verses to say that the responsibility is the man's. But man, when you get to verse 15, I'll tell you what, it gets pretty tough, doesn't it? Say, did you know that when you got married? Mac? I didn't even know my middle name when I got married. <laughs> I just figured, you know, we're going to live on love. You can't live on love. <laughs> just, just throwing that out there. But the men, you got to be the leader in faith. And you can't, you, you can't let her lead in faith. You got to be the leader in charity. And the man has to be the leader in holiness. Man has to be the leader in sobriety. And if you don't, the devil will get your wife. And once he gets your wife, then he'll get you, and he'll get your wife, then he'll get into your home, and that's exactly what's going on in chapter 2. Now, that's a tough, tough way to end chapter 2, amen, but I'm glad we're done with it. Move right on into chapter 3, and uh, let's shift gears here. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, aren't you glad that's over? Y'all ain't going to say nothing, I understand. Yeah, no, no, no. Oh, that's... uh, some warm holy water right there, I'm telling you what. <clears throat> Ooh, it done turned. <laughs> I've done that a few times. You know, you take a... You know, like, huh. All right, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, This is a true saying, if a man desireth the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And uh, over in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that bishop, he's called an overseer. An overseer. I'll read the verse here. You don't have to turn there if you don't, unless you want to. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the Bible says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. So I'm an overseer. So what does that mean? I'm supposed to oversee 
everything that's done uh, in this ministry in the church house. He says, uh, which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to, number one, feed the church of God. That's it. No bake sales. <laughs> but my job as an overseer is to feed the flock. Make sure you get enough to eat. Amen. And uh, I've, I've, one thing that scared me uh, as becoming a pastor is whether or not I could feed sheep. I was, always, I was just scared to death. And so maybe that might be a little bit uh, of the reason why sometimes I try to have, I'd rather have too much than not enough. I'd rather the sheep walk away going, my soul, I couldn't even digest it, and you got to spit half of it out. And if it interests you, then you go back uh, on, you know, WWW, whatever, and pick it up, amen. But it's always been my fear. My, one of my biggest fears, believe it or not, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, was uh, wondering if I could even feed my wife. You say, why so? Well, she's no spiritual dummy. You see what I mean? I know if you ever thought about it, man, if the Lord ever called you to preach or be a pastor, could you feed your wife? <laughs> I'm not talking about steaks on the grill. I'm talking about spiritual food and it being palatable enough for <laughs> her to want to stick around with you. Why? She lives with you. She wakes up with you. That's difficult stuff. But anyways, a pastor and a bishop, he's called an overseer there in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, but today we call him a pastor. And uh, so there's three names, and you've got, I'll just write them on the board here. Oh, look, all them Tootsie Rolls. <clears throat> you've got a bishop. You've got a pastor. And you've got an overseer. And uh, you also see uh, elders show up. And I'll, right away off the bat, you can see the Roman Catholic Church messes with that one. And then you've got the Mormons, they mess with that one. I had someone, uh, I ran into someone in town, he must have been 19 years old, and on his tag it said, Elder so-and-so. I said, Elder, you're not an elder. I said, you don't even shave. <laughs> He's like, oh, it's not funny. <laughs> At any rate, uh, but today we call him a pastor, and those three titles, bishop, pastor, and overseer, are given to what we call this. We, we call ourselves the under-shepherd, and I'll explain why in a minute. All right, under-shepherd. And uh, we are not the shepherd. Amen? I've heard people pray and help our shepherd. Okay, well, your shepherd doesn't need any help. I'm the under-shepherd. The shepherd is Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll show you this. When you read about the false shepherd and the bad shepherd and the word of God, that's a reference to the Antichrist. The idle shepherd is what it's called. But uh, at any rate, that's a reference to the Antichrist. Uh, but in 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 1. Uh, pastor is the under-shepherd, not the shepherd. All right, look at verse 1. The elders which are among you, you see the elders pop up there, which are among you I exhort, who am also a So Peter was an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Ain't that the truth? Look at verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. You see the overseer again? And uh, we're talking about qualifications of a bishop, an overseer, a pastor, they're all the same. They're synonymous. And the Bible said, taking the oversight thereof. So the pastor, he's to take care of the church. 
And the pastor in, in modern America will scoff at this. The pastor is to take care of the church, and the pastor is to run the church. And it says right here in the text, if you look at it, not by constraint, but willingly. That, not because someone is constraining him to do it, right? Not because there's pressure on him from a board of individuals to act or operate a certain way. He's supposed to take the oversight willingly because God called him to do it, and he's willing to do it no matter what it looks like and no matter how it turns out. Now, look at this. Um, It says, next, not for filthy lucre. A pastor should never be a pastor because it was a great career choice. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Because I'm going to tell you right now, and I love what I do. Don't get me wrong. I love cutting down trees, too. Amen? But uh, I'm going to tell you right now, being a King James Bible-believing pastor is the worst career choice that any man could ever make if he's making it because it's a career. Uh, And if you are going to become a pastor because you're after a paycheck, you are too poor to preach. But notice what it says here in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, but of a ready mind. Now watch this, verse 3. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. Now look, you can't make people do anything. You can't. You cannot regulate people, and I'm so sick and tired of I see preachers trying to regulate individuals and trying to make them do things and trying to make things out of them that they ain't. Forget it. You can't make people dress a certain way. You can't make people. You can't even make your own kids do it half the time. You think you're going to make sheep do it? You're nuts. It don't happen that way. You can tell them. You can warn them. You can pray for them, but if they don't do right, what do you do? You turn them over to the shepherd, don't you? You're just the under-shepherd. You cannot regulate people. But look what it says. But being in samples to the flock, verse 4, this is where we're heading. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So this thing here about being an overseer, a bishop, a pastor, is given to the under-shepherd, not to the shepherd. The shepherd is Jesus Christ. Now listen, we don't call pastors bishops today. Uh, at least Bible believers don't. You got some of these guys, uh, you got a couple in town, but you can find them all over the internet. They're running around calling themselves bishop. Uh, yeah, that's that one jaybird that sent me a letter. from the. He's the bishop of the Anglican church. Don't you call me bishop. I ain't your bishop. I'm your pastor. Amen. <clears throat> And, um, and even though that word bishop is biblical in nature, the word pastor is also, look at Ephesians 4. Now listen, just because one person perverts, one uh, religion perverts a, a word, we don't run from it, but the better use of it is Ephesians 4, 4 verse 11, pastors. Four eleven. I ain't your bishop. Now, we'll joke around, and I've got a friend, we call him the heavy bishop. (laughs) But I ain't your bishop, I'm your pastor. Amen. And I'm glad to be your pastor, amen, if you'll have me. That's why it says in 1 Peter, feed the flock that is among you. Like I said, you can't make people stay in the flock. You can't make people come to church. I mean, you surely enough can drive them out, (laughs) amen. But you can't make people come. Why? It's a willingness thing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. And here we are in 2023, some pastors. And so you know what we have a lot going on in this church? We got a lot of teaching going on, don't we? 
We've been going through the Pauline epistles, and I'm trying to give you so much information that is coming out your stinking ears. I'm trying to teach you about spiritual growth. Not that you don't know about it, but maybe something will trigger something right and help you. But let me tell you what, there's a look at the last application in the church age is teachers. You see that? That's where it ends. So uh, we got a lot of teaching going on here. And uh, now a pastor, he is an ordained elder. An ordained elder. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 1. A little bit about this uh, position called a pastor or a bishop or an elder. Now look, I have a spiritual position. That doesn't make me better than anybody else. Do you understand that this morning? That doesn't make me closer to the Lord and you less closer or me more important or you less important. That has nothing to do with it. It all has to do with an office, right? If you go to work and you sell vacuums, then you are a vacuum salesman. That's your office. You know what my office is? I'm an overseer. I'm a pastor. I've got the work of an under-shepherd to feed the flock. That's my job. And if I don't do it right, the Lord will clean my clock. <laughs> And it has a lot of grace, too. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. I want you to see there are ordained elders. Look at Acts chapter 14. Bishops and deacons. They're ordained elders. Chasing this thing down just for a second here. Acts chapter 14. You know, one of my biggest fears as a pastor, and you say, well, you sure are afraid of a lot. Well, I'll tell you, be a pastor and see how your life goes for a while. But one of my fears is uh, the people here at Bible Believers Baptist Church, the ones who chose to come willingly, amen, that they stand before the Lord of the judgment seat of Christ, and he has simple questions out of his book, and we can't answer them. And I'll tell you what, I was raised in a Christian home that loved the Lord and served the Lord, but I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to be honest with you, and this is not a condescending remark of how I was raised, but we were not taught that book like we're being taught now. It was more of a, let's come to church, let's hear about God's mercy and God's grace, which is wonderful, and let's try to see some people saved, and let's do something for the kids, and let's make sure we have some programs, and everyone has a position, and it's okay, but you know what? Doctrine and teaching it didn't happen. Amen. You heard the witness of two right there. Now, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. The Bible says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. You see that? You've got an ordination going on there. So some of these, uh, some of the brethren, some of these... Uh, Oh, I know I'm rough in my speech. Some of these idiots out here, they say this. Well, I have been ordained by God. I don't have to be ordained by man. What do we say, Taylor? Bat feathers and baloney. <laughs> you know why a man would say that? I'll tell you why. Because they're a rebel. I've got, I've got a certificate in my office with, with eight men that signed their name to it that said, uh, this guy is being commended to the gospel ministry and they grilled me with questions and they prayed over me and they put their hands on me. You say, what is that? That's God's plan. You ordain elders. Why? There was a need at this church. I didn't get ordained just because uh, I think I'll just be ordained today. You know, I have no real reason. 
I was uh, under the old man for 18 years, and the Lord called me over here, and I wasn't ordained to the gospel ministry. So I said, hey, I said, hey, preacher, uh, the Lord's called me over here to pastor, and he's like, okay, well, well, let me know how it goes. I'm like, I'm not ordained, but let me know. No, I said, preacher, I need to be ordained. He's like, okay, just checking. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, anyways, but if the only reason a man would uh, not want to be ordained is because he's a rebel. And you got to remember that too. That's in every man. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 for a second. 1 Timothy 5, 17. Now by the time we're done through this passage, you're going to know probably more about my job than I will. <clears throat> but you know what? Here's the thing. I want you to think just I want you to think seriously and soberly for a minute, okay? I'm not planning on exiting stage left, but what if something happens to me? Look, I got life insurance, man. I'm worth more dead than I'm alive. Amen? Uh, if, if I kick off and I'm not looking forward to besides heaven, and I don't want to go besides the Lord call me home, but if I was to kick off, you'd all have to get you another preacher. You better know what to look for. Amen. All right, 1 Timothy 5, 17, the Bible says, Let the elders that rule well, and that's something, be counted worthy of what? Double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. All right, so an elder, he's supposed to rule, and he's supposed to rule well. He's not just supposed to be mediocre. And if he rules well, the Bible says, well, he's worth double what you think he is. So a pastor is an ordained elder of the church, and he rules spiritually here in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I'll show you again in Hebrews chapter 13 that it is a spiritual rule. And if you ever come across a preacher that wants to be heavy-handed on you, you better be careful. I'm not saying he can't preach, but if you find a preacher that wants to regulate what everyone does and regulate where everyone goes and regulate what, how everyone dresses, you see what I mean? You've got to be careful with that thing. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13. The Lord made it real clear when he brought me over here. He says, listen, the only thing that matters is if I work in God, work in my people. So if a preacher gets up from the pulpit while you're going to Hebrews 13 and he just hammers dress, he hammers dress, he hammers uh, serving in the church and he keeps hammering that thing and he keeps hammering all the exterior, over a period of time, will he not produce Christians that dress how he wants them to dress and serves in the capacity which he wants them to serve and then goes where the places where he would go. So how do you even know if that's what God wants you to do? It sounds to me like you're doing what the pastor wants you to do. Here's the thing. I've turned you over to the Lord because why? He's the chief shepherd. And I lay off that stuff not because I don't have a standard, not because I'm a liberal, I've got plenty of standards, and you say, what are they? I'll tell you one-on-one, -on -one, but I ain't going to say it from the pulpit. You see what I mean? Why? Because if there's any change at all in a Christian's life, I want to make sure it's the Lord doing the change and not me. All right, we better finish up. Hebrews 13, 17, the Bible says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give account uh, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable. For you, So if your pastor's not praying for you and looking over you with joy, it's not profitable for you. And I believe that also means uh, has to do with the judgment seat of Christ. I believe it hurts you. And if your pastor doesn't love you and he doesn't pray for you 
and doesn't want you to do better, that's going to hurt you. So let's stop right here at this point in the lesson, and we'll pick it up when we get back together.